Psalm 103. After we wrapped up our time in the seven churches found in Revelation, uh, I figured it would be good to have a little bit of a break uh, from book studies, and so I thought we would do uh, some weeks in the Psalms so that uh, we can get back on track when in August when everybody's done, hopefully done with vacations and, and travel and surgeries and everything else. And so we are continuing our Summer in the Psalm series. Uh, so far, we have looked at Psalm 121, which directs our eyes towards God as our helper and protector. And I talked about how we're living in some crazy times and it's easy to get lost in our personal circumstances or maybe even lost in the bigger picture uh, of everything that's happening in our country or across the globe. Uh, but no matter how crazy life gets, the author of Psalm 121 wants us to focus on the only source of stability and power that we can and we should count on. Any other source of power can be taken away, can be removed, uh, but the one source of power that will never change and never go away is the power of the maker of heaven and earth. And then after that, after Psalm 121, we looked at Psalm 50, which focused on the futility of meaningless sacrifices. Right in Psalm 50, Asaph informs us that God isn't interested in our sacrifices because he doesn't need anything from us. Right? First off, if God needed anything, he wouldn't be God. A God that needs something is no God that is worthy of worship. But secondly, it says in that psalm, if he did need something, he wouldn't let us know because he owns everything. Now, he is not dependent on us. He's not dependent on our sacrifices. He has everything that he could possibly need in his possession. Right? The sacrificial system was established so that relationship with God could be restored after our sin, and it acted as a precursor to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on our behalf to atone for our sin. And so the sacrificial system was not so that God could get a snack. Right? He's not sitting up there thinking, man, I'm really hungry. If someone would just give me some food, I would be satisfied. That's not why we offer up sacrifices. We offer sacrifices to be restored in relationship and then ultimately Christ's life, death, and resurrection, it gave us the opportunity to be completely and fully put back into a right relationship with God the Father and it opens the door for us to enter into worship with Him. All right? So what God wants from us is He wants our heart, not our sacrifices. What God wants from us is our worship, not our sacrifices. And that's what we're focusing on this morning from Psalm 103. We're focusing in on our worship today. All right, so let me ask you a reflective question. It's rhetorical. I don't, I'm not expecting an outward response, so you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. I just want, want you to hear this question, and I want you to think about your heart this morning. All right? So, how many of you woke up this morning and thought something like this? I cannot wait to worship God this morning. Consider that. Think about, I mean, just at any point in your morning to this point, had, did any of you come up with the, the mindset of, I absolutely cannot wait to worship God today? 
Did you wake up grateful that you have the opportunity to come together with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this room and that you get to sit in relative comfort and express your never-ending joy at all that God has done for you? Did that cross your mind today? Right? Or maybe you're here this morning because it's sort of rote Sunday morning activity. This is what I do on Sunday morning. I wake up, I get my coffee, I make some breakfast, I get dressed, I go to church, we go out to lunch after that, and so on and so forth. So maybe you're here this morning, but your head and your heart are somewhere else. Right, you're here because you're always here on Sunday, which is a good thing. But you're not necessarily thinking about your worship of the Lord this morning. Now, I don't ask that question to shame anyone. I'm not in the shame business. That's not what's going on here. Um, so if you, if you walk out of this place here this morning feeling that burden of shame, I, that is not my intention at all. You've missed the point of Psalm 103 if you walk out of here and you feel shame because your head and heart was not solely focused on the idea of worshiping the Lord. Psalm 103 is all about pointing out why we should worship the Lord. It's, it's, it's going to be completely focused on who God, what God has done and who God is. And so if you're here this morning and you're finding yourself struggling to direct your worship to the Lord, King David is going to provide you with some things to consider in order to aid your efforts at blessing Yahweh. Right? And the way that I read this psalm, now it, it, you could read it and read it differently, right? but the way that I read it and the way that I lumped some things together I came up with 14 things that David points out to help us worship the Lord properly this morning. Things that we can be grateful for. Things that we can sing His praises about. Things that we can internalize so that we have that desire to sing His praises and to worship Him with everything that we do. And for time's sake, we're not going into all of them. So, like, I don't have a 14-point sermon. You're welcome. Right? But I will point some of them out as we go through the psalm. So let's pray as we get into the word, and then we'll read it together, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful that I have the opportunity uh, to, to preach your word, that I get the opportunity to sing your praises this morning. And I pray that we would be mindful of everything that you've given us. And Lord, if there is any of us that have... Uh, things that are distracting us or taking away from our worship of you this morning. I pray that as we get into Psalm 103, that you would point out some big ideas that people can grab a hold of and, and use that in their worship of you here today. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So let's look at Psalm 103 together. David starts off by saying, My soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are made of and remember that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity... The Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. And so right off the bat, in the first two verses of this psalm, we see King David's audience for this psalm. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to himself. He's using that self-speak to get his heart focused in the proper direction, which is the worship of the Lord. And let's be real here. Everything that we do is an act of worship. We're worshiping something at all times. Right? That's the reason why Paul tells us that in all things to glorify God. We worship when we go to the store. We worship when we wake up. We worship when we go to our job. We worship at all times. And so David is showing us in this psalm how to focus that worship on the Lord at all times. And he says here, why, in verse 1, why should David worship the Lord? The first reason, right, and the first of 14 is that David tells us the Lord is holy. Now, we don't have any explanation of what that means in this psalm, but being holy means that God is completely set apart from the entirety of creation. Right? He is completely other. Right? He is eternal. He is preeminent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient and omnipresent. He is ageless, tireless, faultless. Right? He is beyond our full comprehension. We are made in His image so we can understand aspects of His character, but we cannot understand Him fully. And as our Creator, He is completely worthy of our worship for no other reason than the fact that He made us and He tells us to worship Him. Right Now, if we lived in a world that was perfect and had not been broken by sin, offering up this worship of the Lord would be easy. Right? It would be our very, in our very nature to worship the Lord. Right? David would not need to be reminding himself and us that we should be worshiping the Lord because it would flow out of us as naturally as breathing. But because the world has been broken, because it has been cursed because of our sin, now our worship is not instinctive in us anymore. Our instinct is to rebel against God. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing based on our rules, based on our understanding of what is right and wrong. Ultimately, we want to be the ultimate focus of our worship. And this screws up everything for us. It creates pain and suffering. It creates compassion confrontation and competition that leads to death and destruction our desire to go our own way is the worst thing that we could possibly do 
Us being our object of affection is terrible for us. And we can look at all of this and experience it firsthand. But, and, and when we experience some of this hardship, we can begin to wonder if God really is worthy of our worship because of all that we're going through. All this hardship, all this negative stuff that keeps coming at us over and over again. We can start to wonder if God really is worthy of our worship. We just begin to forget that most of these wounds are self-inflicted because of our desire to rebel against what God wants for us. Right? We wonder if God is worthy of our worship when in fact it is us that has gone the wrong direction. Where is God in all this pain? What is He doing in all of this? Well, David tells us what He's doing throughout the rest of the psalm, right? Other reasons why God is worthy of our worship. And like I said, from the way I counted, I see 13 more reasons that David is going to present throughout the rest of this psalm for why I should be worshiping the Lord. In verses 2 to 5, we see several reasons there. There he says, My soul bless the Lord and do not forget all of his benefits. So he's starting to talk about the benefits of worshiping the Lord. It says there, he forgives all your iniquity, he heals all your diseases, he redeems your life from the pit, he crowns you with faithful love and compassion, he satisfies you with good things, your youth is renewed like the eagle. So what is God doing in the midst of this chaotic world that we have created? Well, first off here, David says that God is forgiving our iniquity. All that brokenness, all that sin that we are injecting into the world It says here that God forgives that iniquity. Sin broke our relationship with God. And because God is holy, that means that we are destined to be separated from God forever. Right? But instead of allowing that to happen, God the Father sent His Son Jesus to restore our relationship with Him. Jesus, through living a perfect life, sinning not once at all, and put Himself on the cross, sacrificing Himself for us, He atoned for our sin. God the Father placed every ounce of wrath that He has for those who fear the Lord onto Jesus. Jesus took in every last drop of that and because of that, there is no longer any wrath for any of us that put our faith in Him. He took our punishment from the Father so that you and I and anyone else that puts their faith in the Lord would have a restored relationship with God. We are no longer condemned but we will spend eternity in His presence forever with nothing but joy to experience forever. After dying on the cross, Jesus rose again three days later, conquering sin, conquering death forever. And if we put our faith in the Lord, then we have restored worship. Because He paid for our iniquity, we can be restored in relationship and our worship can go back as it was meant to, to the Lord forever. The third and fourth things that David said that God does for us is that He heals all of our diseases and He redeems our life from the pit. And when he's talking about the pit here, he's referring to death. And I don't know about you guys, um, I found out very quickly last week um, that this promise is not a today promise. I mean, Tuesday, I was as sick as I have been in 20 years, probably. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, he heals all of our diseases. Well, that wasn't true for me on Tuesday or Wednesday, right? It was, it's not true for Sophia. She is dealing with 
disjointed hips and recovering from surgery. Right? So what do we make of this? Right? Death is an inevitability. Right? We have not been rescued from that. We still experience death in this life. And so what do we have here? What is, what is the psalmist saying here? Well, what we have is a future promise. We have a future promise that there would be a healing of all disease. We have a future promise that we will be removed from the pit, redeemed from the pit. That promise we find in Revelation 21, and, and that promise should make us long for the next life. Look at this. Psalm, uh, Revelation 21, verses 1-4. to Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. So even though we are not experiencing, experiencing that promise now, we have the promise that that will be done away with forever in the new heaven and the new earth. The other thing that David presents us in these verses, number five and number six, it says faithful love and compassion. Well, number five, I'm sorry, is faithful love and compassion. I did lump those two together. Uh, so because of Christ, nothing can make God's love or compassion for us change. Right? He took compassion on us because there was no way that we could restore our relationship with Him. And so He took compassion on us and He sent Jesus to, to live in our stead the way that we should have lived. And in that compassion, we get the, the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And out of His love, He offers that to us. And now we can take on Christ's righteousness when He took on our punishment. And because of that, then that faithful love and compassion will never change. Right? God's love for us will never change. That compassion is there forevermore. Six, He satisfies us with good things. Now, our definition of good and God's definition of good might be different. I don't know if that works out for you and any of the young people in your life that you might know. My kids always think exactly what they want is good and anything that I say no to is bad. So sometimes God's definition of good is different than our definition of good. Uh, but Romans 8, 28 through 30 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. And so the good things that God promises us and is sending to us may not look good to us in the moment. What might be good about those things is how it slowly shapes us into the image of Christ. How it slowly moves us into being more compassionate people, more loving people, more people who are seeking righteousness. And it says He's sending us good things, but we may not necessarily agree in the moment that those things are good. But Paul tells us in Romans 8 that all things are working together for our good. 
The seventh thing he promises there is that we have that renewed youth. I am ready for the renewed youth. I don't know about you, but I, am, I have been so tired over the past two weeks. First getting sick, next dealing with Sophia and the rest of the four kids. Like This is, again, is a promise coming in the future because right now I am tired. Are you tired? I could use some of this renewed youth that we are promised here in this, but again, this is a future promise, but God is working towards that on our behalf. In verses 6 through 10, we, are, we, we change direction a little bit. First, we were talking about things that God was doing. And in verses 6 through 10, we get aspects of God's character that make him worthy of our worship. Look at verses 6 through 10 with me again. It says there, The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. So first off there, we see that he is righteous and he is just. It says that he is seeking out righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. We can can strive for those things in and of ourselves because we are created in his image. But no one is going to do it as perfectly as God is. There is no slight that goes missed by God. There is no oppression that is just going to be wiped off the face of the earth because we, the, the people who are oppressed had no ability to do anything about it. Like God is taking note of every hardship that is happening because of dictators, wrong governments, wrong people, whatever it may be. God is taking note of these things and He is righteousness for those people. He is seeking to give justice to those who have been oppressed. It also says there that he is, has compassion and grace for us. Now, I've always tried to explain the difference between grace and mercy as grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy as being not getting what you do deserve. All right? So with grace, we see that we have the offer of salvation through Christ. We deserve condemnation. We deserve separation from God for eternity. And yet He has shown us compassion and grace. We see there that He is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Guys, it would not do for me to have the power of God even for a day. Because I am not always slow to anger. right? I am not always uh, abounding in faithful love. God has allowed us to to go off in our rebellion and it would have been in his full right to wipe us off the face of the earth immediately. And yet he has not done that. Why? Because it says there he is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He is willing to give us time to repent. He's worthy of our worship for that. It says he will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He is forgiving. The Apostle John tells us that if we will repent of our sin, he is faithful to forgive. We cannot out the grace of God. 
And that offer is out there forever. And if we are children of God, then when we experience sin as we do, right? when we while out and go our own way as we do, God is right there waiting for us to repent, to turn back from the sin that we have committed to say that we're sorry, and He is right there ready to forgive us. Lastly there, verse 10, he says, it says He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. That's the mercy part of it. Right? The grace part is He gave us salvation when we didn't deserve that. The mercy is He did not give us condemnation, death and hell forever. David dives a little deeper on a few of these ideas in verses 11 and 19. It says, Therefore, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows that we are made out of He knows what we are made out of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him and his righteousness towards his grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So how much does God love us? This is as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. How far has he cast his sin away from us, or our sin away from us? As far as the east is from the west. Why does God show us compassion? It says here that he knows what we are made of. He knows that we are just animated dust and that our days are short. But God's love for those who fear Him and keep His covenant is eternal. He loves more than we can possibly understand. And lastly, the 14th thing that David points out is that God is the ultimate King and He rules over us all. He rules over everything. Now He is worthy of our worship because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is worthy of our worship because nothing is outside of his kingdom. So what should we do? We've got 14 things here that talks about the worthiness of God for our worship. What should we do? Verses 20 to 22 tells us, it says, Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength, who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. So who should bless the Lord? Literally everything. All the angels, all the armies, all the servants of the Lord, all his works. And then at the very, very end, David tells his soul to bless the Lord. Right? It's easy to think about, yeah, everybody should bless the Lord, but sometimes we get distracted. And we don't think about what that worship should look like for us. And so in his self-talk, he is telling, this is all the amazing things about who God is. This is all the amazing things about what God has done. And so what should all these people do? They should bless the Lord. But more importantly, what should I do? 
Bless the Lord. Worship the Lord. So my application for you this morning is, how is your worship? Do thoughts like this cross your mind as you go through your day-to-day activities? Do you think about how you worship the Lord in everything that you do? Right? You're going to bed at night is worship. It's saying that you trust in the Lord to, to handle what needs to be handled while you are unconscious. Right? When you go to work, it's worship. You are representing Christ every step of the way. Right? When you go to the grocery store, you are worshiping the Lord there because you are representing Christ to all the people that are in that place. We are literally worshiping at all times. How is your worship? Right. Does, does worship just pop into your mind as you are preparing to get ready to come to this worship service on Sundays? If you are, again, not looking for shame, but maybe we should broaden our perspective on what worship actually is. Right? If you are struggling with your worship, the best thing that I can think to tell you to do at this point is to meditate on Psalm 103. Right? If you have struggled just thinking about the goodness of God in your life, David provides us with 14 reasons why God should be preeminent in our life, why he should be the foremost thing in our mind, the foremost thing that we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure on. And so if you're struggling with that here today and you need to talk about it, I'm willing to sit and chat with you and we can figure out how best to put this into your life on a regular basis but if that's not going to happen and all you walk out of here with is I need to worship what do I need how do I need to worship think about Psalm 103 as you leave this place today all right let's pray together Father it is amazing to me that those who love you those who fear you those that are in relationship with you because of what Christ has done for us We have eternity to spend with you and we will never reach the bottom of who you are and what you have done. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are known for our worship of you. Like individually, like as I leave this place, I pray that Chris Hamblin is known as a worshiper of Yahweh and that it changes everything about my life. That I don't think about worship simply when I come here and spend time singing and, and preaching and, and doing everything that we would do as the church, Lord. But as we go from this place, I pray that you would help myself and everyone to understand that every single thing that we do is worship. Lord, as we often do as we get distracted, I pray that we would have reminders of Psalm 103 somewhere in our life that we would be constantly looking at your goodness, your compassion, your sovereignty, your love for us your grace, your mercy, your righteousness, your justice, that we would have that before us at all times in our life and that we would be constantly praising you for that, that we would be speaking to others about that or that we would be changing our life because of that. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit's help to be able to do that. I pray that the Spirit would be present here in our lives, Lord, and that as we go from this place, there would be promptings throughout the day that would share with us, hey, you need to worship, you need to worship, you need to worship. Lord, I pray that this would be the reality for us all. 
It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.